Um, let's ask it like this. Let's just talk with the uh, proverbial, in, in, in the terms of the proverbial other. What, how would other people answer this question? Um, what, what, comes, what comes to mind when you hear, hear the word salvation? And, and what does it mean when somebody says, have you been saved? So let's start with the first one. What comes to mind when you hear the word salvation? Okay. Um, which is, you know, being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, blood of Jesus Christ. There we go. Okay. I just think eternal life. Eternal life. Yeah. When I think about being saved. Yeah. Salvation from doom. Yes. Good. Keep going. Take from my sins. From, from, I think. from your sins. Yeah. Well, the effects of sin. You can simply say that I'm safe from sinning. So. Ben, you were going to say? No, I was going to say, I think if you ask the average person on the street, they would say that this is, this is a word that Christians use. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is the work of Christ, um, and this is part of the uh, um, Christ alone, right? Part of the, 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 the fourth sola that we've been looking at. Um, this is really what gets into the nuts and bolts of what we as, as a Reformed tradition, and when I say we, I talk about this church, it may not be you, what we mean by salvation. And so this, this component really ties together the other solas at this point as to how you are saved and why you are saved. And what, what I want you to leave this room with is understanding how to tell somebody, what is it exactly that brings you salvation? Is it your faith? Is it grace? Or two, is, it, is, you know, is it the words of Scripture that, that come to you, that give you knowledge of those things? Is it the cross? Uh, this is rhetorical, but you know, do you want to say something? Did you want to say? No, I, I was going to say it's all. Okay. It's all. Okay. I, I, that's a great place for us to be at this point. Because I, I would probably, yeah. Yes. No, I would say So he's Faith is the instrument by which we gain salvation. It's Christ's atonement, His death, His, it's his sufferings, and His glory. You looked at the sheet already. It's in Him. We're not saved by... Like, I can't have enough faith. My faith isn't what saves okay. me. Even if I have faith, it's Christ who saves me. I'm appropriating yeah. that salvation by faith. Yep. <clears throat> right, boy, you're just getting right to the end of the lesson already. We're going to talk about it. this. is great. This is good. We're going to go through the murk, right? And we're going to get down into where your salvation really lies. Okay. So before we do that, we're right on schedule. Let's talk about let's talk about our review here. Um, scripture. Okay, we talked about so scripture. We did grace alone. 
we did faith alone, and now we're doing Christ alone. And what, what's in the middle of these things? What was, what was this diagram that I showed you several weeks ago? What's the fifth one? Glory of God. To the glory of God alone. And, and it's not that any one of these trumps the other, but what I want you to always think about is how all of these lead to bring glory to God and, um, and, and, and it really becomes our litmus test that if we're understanding what Scripture is about, if we're understanding what grace is about, if any of it shares glory with us, or another way to put it, if any of it takes glory away from God, then, then, then maybe we're not comprehending the doctrine in the way that it is, it is, it is understood from Scripture. Um, so, does everybody remember that? Okay, good. All right, look at your handout there. The work of Christ is primarily the work of reconciling the world unto God. And this focuses mainly on the office of priest, uh, of the priest that Christ fulfills. And this is another Sunday school in and of itself, but just, just to kind of, there's three main offices that we see throughout the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus fulfills all, all of those offices. But when we talk about the work of Christ, we're focusing on his priestly work, which his atonement, right? His, his making sacrifice for us, that kind of work. Um, where kingly would be, for example, his governing and rule, protection and provision, okay? <clears throat> and then prophetic would be his words and that kind of thing. Um, so how does this happen? How does Christ's work reconcile the world to God? Well, look at this quote there by Robert Peterson. He said, The cross of Christ is central to salvation. And some of you, I think Gail, may mention the cross. And when I think of salvation, the cross is what comes to mind. And maybe certainly on Easter, that is what comes to mind as well. Yet the cross, he says, is not alone. It is preceded by our Lord's incarnation and sinless life. It is followed by His resurrection, ascension, and session. The final outworking of His saving work is still to come, His second coming. And the reason why I like this quote and why I gave it to you is I want us to broaden what we think of when we hear the word work of Christ. And when we think of, um, even uh, with the question that we had earlier of how, what does salvation mean? What does it mean for us to be saved? Okay, so you know, last week we did uh, the, the person of Christ and now we're looking at the work of Christ. And this is going to uh, encompass all six of these things here. So uh, we're going to each one of these can be a Sunday school class. It can probably be a class in seminary. So just recognize that. But it's it's okay to dip our toes in the water. The plan of salvation there. How, what I mean by that is that the the Father this is what the Father decrees, the Son executes, and the Holy Spirit applies. We're always keeping that in front of us. I know big concepts there, but to kind of kind of go through these at a brisk pace. I mean, we're not going to hang in there too long. But if you have questions about something, please ask. Um, when we talk about the work of Christ, we, we begin with His incarnation. Why? Because that is His introduction into His earthly ministry. It's Him taking on flesh, which is central to His work. If He is not human, He cannot atone for sin. Okay, So the incarnation is where we begin. Um, as we talked about last week, that encompasses both His divine and human nature. This is a mystery. Okay, um, I'm not going to be able to parse for you how and, and, and exactly what that entails and looks like as, as Christ goes throughout his ministry, sinless, yet he has somehow um, you know, chosen to suppress his deity, although he still is God at the same time. Okay? 
That's a mystery. We are happy to hold that there in tension and go with it as we understand uh, what it means for Christ to be both human and to be God as well. All right, this gets then into what is called his active obedience. Has anybody heard that phrase before? Active obedience? Okay. Uh, that's a good seminarian phrase. You want to start, you know, you want to start looking like you know what you're talking about at the, at the next party, the, at the next you know, office party. You just start talking about active obedience. And this is what we refer to as his earthly life. Um, the fact that he knew no sin qualified him to be our sin bearer. Um, active obedience means him placing himself under the law, but not being found guilty of the law. Okay, so all of these things are crucial. So Christ comes, in, comes to earth and he lives a normal human life. He lives a life under the law, just as we are under the law. And by law, we mean Torah. We mean the Ten Commandments. We mean um, the things that God has called us to do and be. Um, and you can kind of summarize that by saying, God has a will, and are we going to obey that will? And that will is given to us in the Ten Commandments. And Jesus submits himself to that will. And what does he do? He knocks it out of the park, right? I mean, he wins. He does it perfectly. And this is the active part. This is the part where he goes and he wrestles with the, the temptations that you and I wrestle with. He goes out into the desert and is tempted. Um, he, he knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to um, you know, you know, pick some type of human emotion. But he actively pursues and puts himself in that place. But he, he does it perfectly for us because this is what we need. This is part of his active obedience. The second component to this, as you see, is the crucifixion and, and what, what happens, what we might call the Passion Week. And this is what we refer to as the passive obedience of Christ. <clears throat> and by passive, we mean that he submitted himself to the Lord's will. Okay, so I think the picture of him in the garden, you know, you know, basically pleading with God, if somebody else could take this cup, take this cup from me. But if it be your will, right, I will submit myself to this. And we refer to that as the passive work that he would, he would submit himself to the humiliation and to the death of what, what he was going to experience for what? For the joy that was set before him for y'all, for you. All right, so um, this is what that means. Christ voluntarily suffered and died for the sin of the world, paying for sin, removing our guilt, and freeing us from death. Okay? <clears throat> if you want to have a sort of Sunday school, like cliff notes, those are the two hooks that you want to hang the work of Christ on. The active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. But because I care so much about you, I have given you so much more to overload you and overwhelm you this morning. So you have the, the full view here. All right, so, but his, you know, as, as Robert Peterson mentioned, the work of Christ wasn't finished at his death. Because what, what are we celebrating today? His resurrection. It's Easter, people, right? You know, this is resurrection. This is part of it. Uh, the life of the Son of God is important to our salvation. Hebrews 7, 16, 24 to 25, talking about how, how you know, we, I asked May this. I said, May, uh, after the Friday service, um, you know, we left in darkness and we got in the car and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, what happens? So where's Jesus now? He's in the tomb. What happens if Jesus stays in the tomb? And she goes... Our sin, you know, she just kind of gave me some Sunday school answer, like, our sins are still forgiven? No, they're not. Like, if he's still in the tomb on Sunday, this is all for naught. So his life, his body, all that is so important. So resurrection, actually, uh, part of why that's important to us. 
um, and, and you can look at Hebrews uh, 7 there um, to, talk, to look at that, is because what happens to him happens to us. All right? You'll hear me say this earlier or later in the service. Um, what, is, what is true of him is true for us. So we need his death, but if he doesn't resurrect, if his body doesn't come out of the grave, um, then the work is all for naught. All right? After the resurrection, we have the what? The ascension and the session. The session is him sitting at the right hand, um, governing. And one of the things that he's doing there is interceding, and this is what's going on today. All right? So Christ's work is still happening. He's actually praying for you, according to Romans 8. All right? We'll see in Hebrews that he is constantly interceding for those, because uh, he loves to make intercessions, what, what, what it says, for those um, that he died for. But that work is still happening right now. Um, all right? It's hard to keep all this in front of us. I get it. <clears throat> Lastly, and this is sort of the crowning jewel, this is what we are waiting on, is his return. And uh, Dr. Peterson would say this is the ultimate expression of Christ's saving work. And it's easy to see why he would say that, because this is the culmination of all of it, right? Okay? All right, that's the heavy lifting. That's the heavy lifting. We got through it. You can take that home and look at it. This is, this is the central message of what we talk about when we hear the work of Christ. Briefly, any questions, anything, observations, any clarifications, or anything that's just like, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about his passive obedience. And, uh, you know, anything? Did he always know he was God or Oh, man, why did I have the four minutes? <laughs> I don't know, that's just popping into my head. No, that's a great question. I mean, I mean, what, I mean, because we remember back when we were children as we discovered things or learned things, but, you know, I mean, at some point did a light bulb go off? Or... Here's, how we would, here's how we would talk about that, and there, I think there are probably, I don't know if there are a couple of different ways to talk about it, but the way that I believe, um, the, what I subscribe to, is that we talk about the vocation of Jesus, talk about the work, the calling of Jesus, that as his ministry goes along, he begins to come into and understand who he is and what he has come to do. And so in one sense, it's not that when he is seven years old, I don't believe that he necessarily knows that that it is his end to die at 33 for the sins of the world. Um, We can also say that because the ministry of Jesus started so late, not so late, but started at 30, there is a growing in obedience. There's a growing in wisdom and stature. And part of that wisdom is coming into the vocation, the calling of who he ultimately is. And even throughout the progression of the Gospels, you begin to see both understanding of what I've come to do, but my time is not yet. And so there's just this coming, you know, you know, As to when that plan was completely revealed to him, we cannot say, but I, I, I think it is absolutely progressive in the sense that he is coming into that vocation. Would he, would he not be aware of some of his divinity? I mean, we all call God Father, too, but what about when he separated from his parents and he was back teaching? Mm-hmm. And he said, would you know that I had to be... With my, with my father? Yeah. <clears throat> so then you got to ask, ask yourself, and this is where this gets into... Right, I would say murky waters, but I think waters we're not able to understand. Does that mean at that point in time, at that age, he fully comprehends? And I would say no, but does he, does he have a connection to the Father in a way that is other? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. That's not unlike things Elijah would say in a dramatic way. 
probably understand more than that, but those words aren't a dramatic departure from the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, it's, man, I remember talking, I remember talking about this and it's kind of one of those topics too. I don't, I mean, scripture doesn't give us the immediate answer to, um, but I, I want to also frame it in, you know, kind of God's wisdom and plan for this, um, for how, for how Jesus's humanity works out. I mean, if y'all were born and, <laughs> you know, look, it's, it's okay. You got at least 33 more years before this happens, but this is what's going to happen. Um, he doesn't treat the son that way. And he gives him, he gives him a, a childhood that all of us experienced. Uh, yet, yet at the same time, that childhood experience was perfect in obedience, you know, and his growing and maturing and wisdom and stature. And, um, and I, I, think, I think I'm happy to say when his earthly ministry really begins and takes off in the Gospels is when... Is when that um, calling, if you will, crystallizes um, of what he's going to ultimately do. Being without sin, didn't at some point people start thinking that he was strange? I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, you've got this, he doesn't sin at any point. Yeah, you want to be his brother? Yeah. You get angry with people like that. Yeah. We see people, and, and of course, we're very good at finding other people's sins, but we're looking at him, and he never does. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't pout. He doesn't slam doors. He doesn't run away. Yeah. I mean, he's always doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very odd quality. Always doing the right thing, yet he's still a brother. He's still your brother, so I can't, like, all right, he's just, he, you know, he's... We come up with excuses like that, or we just say, you know, he is the he's the golden boy of the family. Obviously, that's Steve, clearly. Um, and uh, but you know, at the same time, the, his his home and his community I mean, did think he was crazy. And there was there was a point in his ministry where they do just like he, you know, prophets not 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 uh, welcome in his own town. Um, and so that progression is part of his earthly ministry too. Of okay, there comes a point where he crosses that line of. Of, of not just like going, going from I'm a good Sunday school going, church going person to almost David Koresh. Like you're starting to say some things about yourself that sound ridiculous. And Jesus had that moment and he got, he got blasted for it, right? Go ahead. Well, I was thinking they, they began to think, wonder about him after he did begin his ministry at 30 years because pretty much he lived a normal life working and taking care of his family and all that. But then when he began his ministry, they, they said, who is, who is this guy who's teaching with this authority? As if he's a normal person. Yeah, Why? isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so there wasn't a lot of, yeah, so go ahead. Well, that was just, I was thinking, and then that's when they thought, well, he's, so I don't know how he he kept that, that like like, um, like he said, that, that, you know, he didn't sin, so that seemed... Seemed like it would be strange in that person, but yet when he did begin his ministry, then people thought, "Why well, was this normal person who's teaching with authority?" Mm-hmm. You know? I love. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, we, we're not going to like 
get to the bottom of this one. So, uh, but I love talking about it. But it's just, it's it's worth it's worth talking about. And there's lots of writing about it. I, I will say this. I'll, I'll end with this one. I like. I think it's in Mark's account. But is it? It's the it's the Roman soldier uh, as Jesus is breath breathe his last breath who looks at the cross and says surely this was the son of god and and so you know there <laughs> jesus is doing this thing and 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 for for many of us it isn't until after he's already completed his plan his work if you will um, where we actually begin to see and realize okay maybe this was maybe we shouldn't have done this right <laughs> or um um Yeah. But, um, those things are kind of a mystery. Mhm. Yeah. The last thing I'll say, and we need to move on, is um, you know, I, I don't, every illustration fails at some point, but think about what you're gifted in. Maybe you don't even know. You know, if you've taken a gift test or a, a fruit of the spirit test and that kind of thing. But all of us are kind of heavy-footed in certain things, and maybe maybe it'd be easier for you to think about your vocation and what you really love to do, but. Think about how you came about to know that and then how you are still learning how to use those gifts and what those gifts mean for you and how they impact everybody else. Um, this is how a lot of scholars talk about this. So Jesus, it was <laughs> the second member of the Trinity and you know how, how much more um, for him. But um, let's leave it there because I want to get to uh, the meat of this. We have about seven minutes. This is, that's a little fast. Or did somebody read? Yeah, it's a little fast. Okay, here's this work. What does this matter? What saves? Is it the work of Christ or my faith in Christ? So here we are back to the beginning. Um, Here's this quotation from Rod Rosenblatt. In the Reformation schema, to preach Christ crucified is to preach Him and His saving death, rather than to preach our faith in Him and what saves. The Reformation insisted that we are justified on account of Christ and through faith. It is not the opposite. That is, we are not justified on account of our faith and through Christ. I had to read that three, four different times. And I had to ask myself, well, it sounds like we're splitting hairs here, Rod. You know, what, what do you, what's the difference here? And the difference is everything. The difference is crucial. And this is why this kind of gets through the murk of our salvation and, and what we mean uh, by not just Christ alone, but the work of Christ himself. And the difference there, as you see in your handout, is the objective gospel versus your subjective faith. Uh, The difference is the object of faith, sort of as Steve was hinting at earlier, and uh, looking at your faith and wondering if I'm believing correctly. So let me me parse this out for a second. When I say the objective gospel is that your faith, the, the, the conduit, if you will, your faith is in the object of Christ and his work, which is everything one through six, right? You need all of this. You're trusting all this, that this is true. That is the object of your faith. It is the objective uh, truth of your faith to which you are saved. As opposed to subjective faith, which is nothing more than saying, all right, I feel like I'm believing, or, man, I really feel close to God today. Um, But, you know, yesterday I didn't feel so close to God, so I need to do something, or I need to ramp that up or I need to, I need to, you know, focus on something else. I don't know. Um, 
It's the idea that our faith is subjective to how we feel about God. Um, <clears throat> so all of us can relate, right? There are days that we feel closer to God. There are times when, we're, when our faith, we would say, is feels stronger um, than, than normal. <clears throat> but the problem with that language is that we confuse that type of faith with our salvation. We confuse that type of faith with knowing God. Your salvation is secured in and only in the work of Christ. Go back and look at those things. Right? So your faith isn't about how are you believing, you know, am I doing it right? Do I need more faith? Maybe the quality of my faith isn't right. I need to get some good theology in me. Um, it's in the object. And the best illustration I can give us for this is the windshield of your car when you drive home today. All of us tend to gravitate towards looking at the actual windshield and wondering if we're doing the driving right. And what happens if you drive your car out on the hill and staring at your windshield? You're going to hit somebody, right? You're going, you're, it's not going to, you're not going to, the car is not going to drive properly, right? But what is the purpose of the windshield? which is faith in this sense. It's to see through to the object on the other side, which is where your salvation lies. And so what Ron is trying to parse out here, as I'll go on to this next quote, is that sola fide can be seen as the giving up of any and all supposed qualities in us that help to save us, and instead coming to see such inner qualities as the enemy of the gospel, to be hated by us so that Christ's glory is not blasphemed. In other words... As we wrestle with the idea of faith, and we ask, what is it that saves us? Faith is actually the giving up of worrying whether we're doing this right, whether I'm a Christian or not. And it's looking through that windshield and looking at the work of Christ, completed and finished, for you, that secures your salvation. So when somebody asks, are you saved? When somebody asks, what does salvation mean? I literally want you to think, I am saved... By the work of Christ. Or when you get a little fancy with it, I'm saved by the active and passive obedience of Christ. Yeah, we'll jump in here. Paul says essentially the same thing when he says that if Christ has not raised from the dead, we're still dead in our sins. Mm-hmm. He's not saying like, because the sincerity of your faith doesn't do anything, it's, it's all in the object. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're doomed. Correct. Okay. Um, any questions about how you would answer? Are you saved? How are you saved? Where's your? How do? You, what is salvation for you? Um, and and it, and it helps us understand this idea of faith that because faith can become a work. It it absolutely can become a work. And and what we have to keep coming back to is no faith is that conduit. It's that it's through faith that connects me to what Jesus has done for me over here, that is where my, this is where my salvation comes from. If Christ wasn't perfect in his act of obedience, if he didn't submit to the humility of the cross, if he didn't resurrect, if he didn't ascend and sit at the right hand, and if he doesn't come back, we have no salvation. You can have all the faith in the world that you want, and it can feel great, <laughs> but it's for naught. And you're just driving downhill and staring at your windshield and at some point, you're going to crash into something awful. Okay? Some application for this. Um, I put it on here. In other words, Christ alone says, abide in me only. 
but you can you can take these home and look at these. Um, something we talk a lot about: rest is now possible. What do I mean by rest? We we mentioned how, we talked about Luther's conscience. Um, we got three minutes. Luther's conscience. Um, you know his uh, the guilt and like how do I know that I'm right with God? How do I know that 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 uh, that enough has been done for me to have salvation? Well, the work of Christ gives you that rest because you're no longer looking at the windshield. You're looking through at the, uh, you know, at the incarnation and the act of obedience, Christ's life, his perfect life, his crucifixion, his death and resurrection, his ascension. <clears throat> I would also ask in there, are you learning to, to see your faith as actually giving up on any type of inner quality that would merit your salvation? I think that's real, that, was, that one really hit me. I don't think about my faith as the actual an instrument for me to give up on looking at any inner quality in myself. Um, the giving up would be beginning to transfer your, your focus from the actual windshield, to go back to the illustration, and steer through it. That's what that means. Okay, So this is how rest is possible. Um, this changes our motives for works, right? Um, the subjective faith versus the objective faith, the feeling good or needing needing more of that faith versus trusting in the work of Christ. See, it all comes back to that just painful, pesky word, trusting. But, you know, we want to get in there and we want to do stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to argue that, that because we begin to trust that we already have His, his merit, His love, that that, that begins, sets us correctly, sets us straight in the correct motives of our work. Because now I go out into the world... Not looking to gain God's favor, but I already have His favor because Christ's work is finished. Therefore, I go out and I do good works. Okay, it's the same thing. So, do you see how that plays? And that's the engine for works. What what actually gets you excited about doing something for God? It's recognizing He's given you His love. You have it already. You know, as Philip said on Thursday, it's already inside of us. You have to do nothing to get it. The work is finished. Okay. And so we don't do anything to merit God's love. We have His love, therefore we go out and we do. And that's the engine for the works of the church, for, for your works in, in evangelism, for your works in going to your neighbor and caring and you know, sitting through probably painful conversation over years and years with somebody just so you can get the chance to get to know them and share the gospel with them, you know, whatever it is. Um, I had a friend, he told me one time, that he, he loved his neighbor, but his neighbor always wanted to go and like, Garden, and he just he hated gardening, but he did it anyways. You know, he'd get in the dirt and act sort of act interested in, in the plants or whatever. But he really loved his neighbor, so he did it anyways. And you know, sometimes that's what that means, you know. But any any comments on that? I would encourage you all to take these these three things and 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 work them through in your own life um, with this understanding of Christ alone and His work. Anything? Yes. Realizing that all that Christ did brought a gift. You, it's a gift. Faith is a gift, not a word, and rest in that. Mm-hmm. That's not as easy as it sounds. No. Saying that. Because we're almost to the end of this whole plan, right? But we're trusting that He returns. That's where we are. Amen to that. Let's close on that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for. Uh, your work. We thank you for these wonderful categories that we create to understand it and talk about it and comprehend it. We thank, we thank you that you actively obeyed, that you were under the law, under the law that we are under, 
Um, yet you obeyed perfectly, and therefore you can actually be our sin bearer. We pray and, and give you thanks for your passive obedience, um, that you didn't pass the cup, uh, so to speak, that you, you didn't forego uh, the will of the Father, but you submitted to it uh, because you love us, because you had us in mind, you had us in view, and you went to the cross submitting, passively and submitting yourself to that humiliation. Um, and that is what we're about to go uh, celebrate and worship now, uh, worship before now, which is your, your death, but your resurrection, your vindication, um, that who you said you were and the promises of that, that that uh, holds are all true for us because you have risen today. We give you thanks for that, Lord Jesus. Go with us, as na- go with us now as we go into worship. Uh, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Thank you all.